This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code IRISHTIMES at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. You're listening to the Irish Times Roisin Meets podcast. Welcome back to Roisin Meets. Now, marriage may be contracted in accordance with law by two persons without distinction as to their sex. And as Mary McAleese says in the foreword to a new book published this week, those 17 words basically inserted equality into the Constitution. And joining me now is one of the key players behind the campaign that made that happen. Grony Healy, you're very welcome. Thank you very much. And you have a new book out, which is why you're here, um, which Colm Tobin did a beautiful review of in this newspaper. The book is called Ireland Says Yes, The Inside Story of how the vote for marriage equality was won. And I saw a really funny tweet the other day and it said, uh, at the time of the campaign, we only saw the graceful gay swan gliding on top of the water. Now let's read about the furious paddling underneath. So that's what the book's really about, isn't it? It is really, um, in a sense. Um, I think we thought having having been working together, uh, Noel Whelan and Brian Sheen and myself, uh, and having gotten the one that we did, that it was important to write up the story of, of really the background story, the the, the frantic pedalling uh, <laughs> under the water, which is a really good tweet. I saw that. So that's really the idea behind the book, so that people who perhaps were involved in the campaign would get a deeper understanding of some of the decisions that were made at headquarters, um, how we decided on certain images or even certain language. And I guess for other people who may be looking to run other campaigns, that Referendum campaigns are a very different class of a thing to just about everything else, including elections, uh, general elections, uh, and trying to bring about other change. So I guess we decided we would do the, here's the seams of the jumper, using yeah. the knitting analogy, so that people could have a look at what we did behind the scenes. Yeah, and the thing is, um, which could sound a bit... Um you know, boring, I suppose, but actually it's a it's a great read because there's such a great uh, culmination to it and it's very well done, I have to say, Thank very you. entertaining. Um, but listen, I was just thinking earlier when you were coming in that I don't really know much about you. At the same time, you're such a familiar face because you were there every step of the way through the campaign. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. OK, well, um, I'm a Northsider, Dublin Northsider, born and bred, uh, one of seven kids raised in a working class household in Merino, middle child, um, first to go to university, um, uh, graduated from UCD, uh, did um, teaching for about 12 years, secondary school teaching, and then um, moved out of that, went back to college and did journalism and uh, worked uh, as uh, the editor of Attic Press, the women's press. And I had always been involved in, from my time I was in college, involved in feminism and social justice. So in my um, my voluntary capacity, <laughs> as it were, I... Um, yeah, I was chair of the National Women's Council for a number of years and I also worked quite a lot with the European Women's Lobby, specifically on the area of violence against women. So a lot of my activism, including stuff on reproductive rights, has really been around women mostly. Um, and then, um, you know, 12, 14 years ago, when two very good friends of mine, Catherine Zappone and Anne Louise Gilligan, decided that they were going to get married and they were going to seek to have that marriage recognised in Ireland, I thought... 
OK, I have to step up to the plate here. So that's really how I got involved uh, specifically in LGBT politics. OK, well, talking about that, um, you know, obviously a key part of the book and a very uh, sort of very moving parts of the books are about people's personal stories around coming out and their own sexuality. So what was your story in terms of your own relationships? Yeah, um, so I had, um, I guess I realised that I was lesbian when I was in UCD. This was in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, I had met a woman that I was working with at the time in McDonald's where I was also on strike. <laughs> all love sense. stories begin. <laughs> love stories begin at McDonald's. And um, yeah, I, I basically followed her to Canada and we had a, a, a wonderful summer relationship and I came back and then she moved back from Canada where she was living for a while and we were living together here. And so that was it. I mean, I was very fortunate to have a very close circle of women friends. Um, I was in a women's studies group and uh, it was there that I met my current partner. So we're together now just 30 years okay. and at the time uh, she had been married and she had a son so we now have a grandson <laughs> who's two and a half um, so yeah that's been that's been my story and I have to say you know I've never when, when you hear some of the stories in, in the book of you know people like Ursula who told a beautiful Ursula Halligan's beautiful story but even other women Una Mullally's story, women who have come out or fathers who've come out for their sons and uh, I think of um, you know so many of the stories in the book that you hear the amount of pain that people have been through um, I have to say I, that wasn't my experience I, I come from a large family um, they're more likely to slag you to death <laughs> than poke you to death um, and that's that yeah exactly so that, that's the context in which I, I grew up and, and came out so but that's not to say that um, you know there weren't that there haven't been instances where you, you know what's going on is because people really have a negative view of your sexual orientation and that's as Panty says, that's when you check yourself yeah. and that's when you begin to think, you know, this is awful because it starts you thinking that you don't like yourself and that's why it's so dangerous. Yeah. Um, so you, you talk about getting into the, the marriage equality sphere and uh, I mentioned Calm to Bean's review and in, in that review, which is which is a really good review because it kind of gives a, a wider context, even a, a, apart from, from your book. And he talks about um, activists from the past and people like Tony Walsh. And he, he actually quotes Tony Walsh saying um, that marriage wasn't something, we're talking in the 80s, say 70s, 80s, that, mm -hmm. that the gay community were necessarily interested in because it seemed unattainable. So it, it'd yeah. be interesting to hear you talk about that mm -hmm. and that kind of mm -hmm. sense that it wasn't something maybe. Yeah, I think that was a true. shift. I think it was so out of anyone's ken that it was something you wouldn't even have dreamt about. For me as a feminist, particularly in the 80s and the 90s, you know, I'm very aware that marriage is a patriarchal institution. I'm very aware that by and large across the globe, uh, women don't do as well out of marriage as men do. They tend to drop a pay scale. They tend to uh, lose their promotion prospects. So I'd have a very clear analysis that marriage is not the be all and end all. Uh, however, um, so I, I'd have gone into the campaign with that kind of, yeah, more deeper, critical understanding of marriage. And I think one of the first challenges we had was trying to get those in the LGBT community to see that what we were looking to bring in, which was relationship recognition equality, that actually it was about the significance of this. For Irish people, because it's in the Constitution, it meant full E equality as citizens and I think that that was when the LGBT community got that that's when we got consensus mm. that's when we got people who had spent years you know slagging off marriage slagging off all kinds of things <laughs> and suddenly they were saying can we join the campaign we're living in Sligo can we put up posters so people got in behind it when they realised that 
ultimately this was about equality and about Irish people saying, you know what, you guys, I know you felt like outsiders, but you belong. But it is interesting when you talk about consensus, because for a good while there wasn't any. And another thing that came to being pointed to in the review, and I'm sure you found it very funny, he characterised Brian Sheen, <laughs> yeah. your partner in this whole thing, um, as Michael Collins, and you were kind of like Terrible. De Valera. So, so Brian would have been a bit more slowly, slowly catchy monkey and, you know, whatever, you'll do civil partnership and get eventually to where we want to be. And you were full on, I want marriage equality. And you're quoted in Nuna Malali's book, In the Name of Love. And it's, it's funny in the context of what happened afterwards, but you're quoted there as saying, I don't know if we'll ever end up being bosom pals, having Christmas drinks together, but that's okay. And you were talking about Brian Sheen and about Glenn and about yeah. the kind of the polar opposite kind of view that you were both having. Yeah. Um, it's, is it interesting for you? And it, it, you don't go into it too much in the book, but I'd love to hear you talk about mm. that kind of evolution. So, so first of all, I suppose, what was that like, that relationship in the beginning? Um, you know... It's very interesting when uh, when people know the history, and Una Mullally sketched it out very well, that we were two organisations with different histories, uh, both looking to achieve um, uh, LGBT rights. And I, I think you've nailed it there. Glenn originally had the position that if they took it step by step and went for civil partnership, that that would, as it were, kind of soften up the ground and then they could go for marriage equality. We had held all along that we felt that we wanted marriage equality because it was the full shilling, it was equality. Um, We were worried that if we settled for civil partnership that the politicians might think, well, that's that done and we'll see you in 10 years' time. Mm -hmm. So it was absolutely always an issue of a difference in strategy. So once civil partnership got in, um, I think there was, for most of us, there was a sense of right. So if we're going to now work towards one single goal, we need to really get our act together and do this. So, yeah, I mean, it was how difficult was that? Because like, you know, that civil war analogy, is it it a bridge too far? Or would you say there's a bit in it? There were tensions. Yeah, definitely there were tensions. Um, And again, it was about organisations taking different strategic decisions and they differed. And we did have rows and we did have sit down conversations and we did disagree. Um, But... The most important thing, and again, I think the the De Valera uh, uh, and Collins analogy uh, is that maybe one of the things that we realised was when we agreed that we had a single goal um, and we sat down and we said, how are we going to do this? With a lot of work with ICCL, the three organisations who formed Yes Equality, I could honestly say, you know, once we moved into that building up there and we had a campaign to run, you know, Brian and I hardly had a crossword for the, and I can say that with my hand on my heart. And I know there are probably people out there listening saying, go on, that's a spoof. <laughs> How could that possibly be? Well, he became be? this uh, this thing called Bronya. So like yeah. from going to a place where you were like, I don't know if I'd ever be able to have a drink with that guy or be, him be my bosom pal, to being Bronya is kind of quite a leap, isn't it? Yeah, and that was, you know, um, Andrew uh, Highland, who was our communications director, and we would have, you know, daily, sometimes hourly conversations with him. And at one stage from the other side of the room, he wanted to call me and he wanted to get Brian's attention and it came out as Bronya and the place just <laughs> collapsed because there was a sense it's in like which... Brangelina. Yeah, yeah, we had merged, uh, you know, (laughs) on one sense in terms of decision making, decision taken. Um, But there was no doubt that we were also bringing together and representative of the different factions in the community. And we knew that that was important as well. One of the interesting, uh, was many interesting parts, but I really enjoyed uh, reading the part about um, the unveiling of the design of Yes Equality, Mm -hmm. because it seems to me from from the book that that was a pivotal moment, because as you said, you've come from two very kind of different positions you were now under the same umbrella but it was about how do you frame this message now 
in the campaign and make it a kind of one that everyone can recognise and get on board with. Mm. And and there's sort of this unveiling of the design. So tell us about that, where this it was a company called Language. Yeah, um, Adam May and Language um, had, had conversations with us about what we thought we were looking for. And we were always mindful that, I mean, I'm not particularly a visual person, I'm a wordy person. So I need somebody to show me something, you know, before I can say I like it. So Adam was talking through different ideas. He went off and he came into the office and said, OK, I've got these various ideas that I want you to have a look at. And he brought them, worked up, which made it very easy. But the, the yes equality, I think, was extraordinary because um, originally we had, he had suggested that we would use something that was bright and colourful and that captured the idea that this was going to be a positive campaign. Uh, we were all delighted that we were on the yes side, um, being the people asking yeah. for yes is a positive. Um, and I guess we also felt that, you know, we were moving from uh, marriage equality, which I was the chairwoman of uh, f- for so many years, which was the campaign for civil marriage equality in Ireland. We knew that civil marriage equality had been a huge issue uh, uh, for people when we did research. People in Ireland, when you said marriage, thought it was walking up the aisle in a church. So a lot of our work was about trying to get people to think, oh, it's civil marriage. It, it can be, the, exactly. Yeah. So when he came in and, and showed us the yes, uh, I think we thought, this is, th- this is it. It's bright, it's vibrant, and it's very simple. So it was yes equality. And we did have a strap line, the campaign for civil marriage equality. We never really used no. the strap line. <laughs> we didn't need it. And, and of course, it really took off, Roisin, during the, the sort of pre-campaign initiative that we did, which was the register to vote, where we were working with USI and Laura Harmon, people in, in USI and the students' movement a- across Ireland and youth organisations of all the political parties. And they began to use the yes equality as their register to vote. You know, no matter how much you think marriage equality is a good thing, if you're not registered, you can't vote, your vote won't count. So we we worked with them to run what turned out to be one of the largest, most successful registration uh, campaigns. And by the end of that campaign, kind of November, December, the groups around the country who were organising themselves just started to call themselves Yes, equality. So that was it, really. The people chose yeah. that that's what the campaign was called. And I mean, when you think about it now, and I suppose you had no idea when that was first unveiled, but the, the badge itself, like I have a few at home and I know yeah. like they're kind of historical sort of artefacts already in a way. Yeah. Um, and the, yeah. the, the primary colours, the, just the brightness of them, the simplicity of it yeah. in a way yeah. was was absolutely beautiful. They must have been, been delighted, uh, the, the, the design team. Absolutely. I mean, they're a very, very well-established design team and when we went to them, they knew exactly what we wanted. But you know, the, the the yes and the tall badges. Um, the first ten thousand of those that we uh, ordered, I really thought God, we're never going to get rid of these. <laughs> we'll be stuck with these. They'll be under the bed for years. And within three or four weeks, uh, the guy who was running our merchandising, um, Patrick, lovely young lad, was ringing us and he was saying, "Can I order another ten thousand? I think I should be ordering these in fifties." I mean, you know, half a million of them went out, Incredible. and I could not during the campaign where I'd be walking from the offices down to get my bus home in the evening. I'd meet people, and I always had to keep my pockets full of badges because the thing you wouldn't have a spare badge on you, would you? So you'd be handing them out kind of like sweets and lollipops. So they really did become iconic. Yeah, I mean, that's all very positive side of it. Obviously, there were difficult times, a, a lot of them. And I mean, this has been going on for years. This is something, I suppose the book focuses on the last yeah, few we, years, really. Yeah. Um, but in the campaign itself, what <clears throat> would you say were the most difficult times or the, the most uh, dispiriting times that you had? 
Um, I think... Uh, I think we were always worried about turnout. We knew that if we could get a big turnout, that we could get uh, a win. So the fact that we had done some research and polling and focus groups, which were showing us that so many young people, like 95% of young people in Ireland, were asking, why are you even having a referendum? This is such a non-issue. So we knew that we had to really get that group out. So the registration vote was really about that. And we were concerned, would they come out and, and, and vote on the day? A lot of the experienced referendum hoods that we had working with us as part of our advisory group, they would say to us, oh, you can't depend on the young people. Don't be depending on the young And for me, I was kind of, hang on a second, I've been going around the country, I'm meeting these young people, I'm telling you, they're organised, they're interested, and they will vote. And they did, they came out. So are you saying they were wrong, those seasoned I am, votes? yes, I'm <laughs> saying they were. Actually, they were basing that on their previous yeah. experience and uh, ours was different. Well, I had, I had, um, I wouldn't consider myself politically astute at all, but I have friends who are very much are, and that, I was having those conversations with them as well, where I was saying, you know, from what I'm hearing and, you know, from canvassing and people saying, you know, no, I wasn't out canvassing, but friends of mine who were, mm. and they were like, well, you know, it's the turnout and so it's just a kind of almost this default position from the past yeah. that has proved right but in this case it was very different. Yeah. No so so the other thing then about stirring and making sure we got that group was the whole social media campaign that we ran so, you know, that was about knowing that um, while there were many young people who were coming on canvases and who were signing up as volunteers, the vast majority of the communication that happens now between young people, and we're talking about people under you know, 45 here, so it's a broad, broad group, <clears throat> it happens on, on social media. Uh, very few of them are buying newspapers anymore, so all of that thing. So, so social media was really important. We had a team of um, uh, young men and women, and their, their job was to make sure that we always had a presence and an active presence in social media. So whether it was, you know, Brendan Carroll's video that he made uh, as uh, Mrs. Brown looking for equality for his son or whether it was rugby players or football or hurling stars or Mamo MacDonald or whoever it was, people who came out to say they were supporting it, we got that stuff out really quickly. It was very good because actually Gay Byrne was on this podcast and uh, in that podcast he talked about the fact that he supported um, marriage equality and I know that you made a card then with his words on it. I think that was one of the most popular ones that... It was really popular. Again, it was just about these are ordinary people. You're knocking on a door depending on where you are. I did a lot of canvassing up around Glasnevin Finglas. So I was knocking on middle class doors, working class doors and again, depending on who opened the door, so if it was a, a young person, thought, well, you know, maybe I'd give them, um, you know, one of the hurling stars or one of the GAA <laughs> players. But if it was somebody like my mother's age, I'd hand them the Gayborn card <laughs> and they'd say, Thank, can I have another one? <laughs> And so, a badge as and well. And a badge thanks. as well, exactly. So, so uh, I mean, I know we're saying, you know, a lot of this is the positive stuff. There were also doors that you knocked on and there were people and they'd open the door and you'd know by their face that they didn't like you and they didn't like what you were standing for. And we were clear from the very beginning of the campaign that there, there's a cohort of people and they are going to vote no for whatever reason mostly maybe to do with religious faith groups and people over 65. It's too new, you know, too challenging for them. So so our job was never to be trying to knock those people on the head and change their mind. We knocked on the door. We would start with our, I'm voting yes, can I tell you why? We begin a conversation and then we give them a chance to say, actually, I'm voting no, thank you very much. And they walk in, take the card and close the door. Or you get involved in a conversation. I mean, one of the conversations I had with a man around my own age, so a man in his maybe late 50s, early 60s, and he opened the door and he said, uh, I'm sorry, love, I'm voting the other way. And I said, 
can I tell you why I'm voting and you can tell me why you're voting? So I spoke a little bit about myself, you know, as a grandmother, um, my two-year-old son Harry, and I want him to grow up in an Ireland where he can be whoever he wants to be. I have no idea what his sexual orientation will be at this stage, but I would like to think that he'd grow up in a kinder Ireland than I did. So this man, so he tells me then about his grandchildren. And really, by the time I walked away from the door, I don't know that I had convinced him Mm. to vote yes, but he was certainly saying to me, God, now I wouldn't have thought someone your age would be voting. So that idea of like people who look like each other at the same age talking to each other, the conversations... And that was always our strategy. Let's have conversations. It was never our idea that we'd go out and, you know, tell people how to vote. The strategy was, I'm voting yes, can I tell you why? And engaging people in the conversation. I'd like to take a moment to talk to you about our sponsors, Squarespace. They have a tool to help people build websites, portfolios or online stores. Around a million years ago, I remember trying to build a website, but it was too complicated. Well, for me anyway. And I could have done with Squarespace. It allows you to build sites that are professional looking, secure and you don't need any coding skills. If you sign up for a year, you get a free domain for the year too. Start your free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. Make sure to use the offer code IRISHTIMES to get 10% off your first purchase. And the strategy is so well detailed in the book and you really get the nuts and bolts of it and even to the extent where certain debates that you were offered to go on that you didn't go on. Correct. So it's all laid bare. And again, Colm Bean made the point in his review that this is almost like a bit too much like a manual for, for people who would who are would be on opposing sides of things like this. You, have you given away too many secrets is what I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, we had to make that decision. <laughs> yeah, it is It is a point and it is a point that we had conversations about before we, before we published. Um, I think we were really clear that... Um, Uh, You know, there are people I've just come back from uh, speaking at uh, the International Lesbian Gay Conference in Athens last week where there were 500 delegates. And I met there people from countries like Slovenia who are facing a referendum uh, over the next two months. Switzerland, there's another referendum. So there are many countries where they're facing similar, they're facing referenda. So I think that there are a lot of really good basic strategies that we learned from other people. I mean, we learned a lot of what we did from our colleagues in America who had won and lost. I mean, they lost 13 votes before they won one. So they really had done their research on why they'd lost. So for us, it was very much about saying, you know, we shared, people shared their information with us. We were really delighted. All of the decisions we made in the campaign were based on research and previous experience. So I suppose during the campaign that gave Brian, Nolan and myself a lot of confidence. We weren't just sitting in a room and going saying, eh, let's uh, let's do this today and see mm. how it goes. We were very had a bit of a template. Very much clear about what would work. What is it that people uh, want to hear? How do people want to engage? And we talked a lot about values, about reflecting back to Irish people that they are loving, generous kind, inclusive. And if you're that kind of person, and that's what the research shows Irish people are, then why wouldn't you be voting Mm. yes? And and all that is really reflected on the day itself, the 23rd of May and that beautiful day. And and I suppose we've we've read an awful lot about that. But on the same day, Breed O'Brien would have said, well, like 700 odd thousand people voted no. So I suppose you also have to look at that. I mean, you know, it was a great victory and everything like that. But there was still an awful lot of people who weren't convinced by the arguments. Mm. And in that way, I suppose there's still a lot of work to do in terms of maybe the, the homophobia or, or various things that are in Irish society still. Is that something you're going to continue to well, work on? I, I've been talking to some uh, people in academics who are looking at trying to 
get some sort of a breakdown of why people voted no, because I think that is as important as why people voted yes. Um, and from our own anecdotal information, I suppose what I've seen is that people voted no for a variety of different reasons, but many of them voted no either because they thought things were going too fast in Ireland or they were they had maybe strongly held faith uh, based uh, views which the Catholic Church encouraged them to have and, and to vote no or there were simply people who um, for them they didn't know anyone who was gay and they didn't really feel it was something that they wanted to uh, support. Um, I, I think that the basic fear is understandable and what I'm hoping is that as the years move on and as lesbian and gay couples get married and move in beside you and their kids are in school with yours and there's more visibility I think think a lot of people who voted no, um, I think they will come to see that their fears were ungrounded. Uh, and I would think that, that that's a good thing. Um, just to say we had a, the, the week after the campaign, uh, I was sitting in the office, we were tidying up and a woman rang in to say that she had voted no. And she was ringing to say that when she watched all the joy in Dublin Castle, that she actually was sorry that she'd voted no. So I'm not saying that everyone who voted no, no is sorry. What I'm saying is I think that there are, there will be stages in people coming to take this on yeah. and coming to appreciate it and coming to see that actually being fearful of it, uh, those fears were ungrounded. And, and just to talk about kind of the implication for other issues in Ireland, I mean, I know you mentioned earlier that you've worked a lot in your life on reproductive rights. What do you think are the lessons that, say, the Repeal the Eighth campaign can learn from yours? I mean, is your book a kind of a manual for them as well? Or, or are they too different to kind of <clears throat> tackle in the same way? I mean, I've been involved in, I was involved in the original Repeal the Eighth Amendment campaign. I go back to, so far. But one of the things I think that is... Um, there's a big difference. A lot of people came to the Yes Equality campaign and they honestly had never thought about marriage equality before that date. So I think that that meant we didn't have one of the one of the challenges for the current repeal of the 8th is that we have over 30 years of a very polarised uh, debate on the issue and people who established their positions when they were 18 20, 30 years ago are still holding some of those positions. So I think there are other challenges there which are about trying to move people out of their entrenched position into what we called the million in the middle and if it's going to be a referendum they're the kind of numbers you're looking at convincing. So however I think that there are things and we're seeing some of them happening. We're seeing the personal stories. We're seeing people who have had the pain of having an abortion coming forward telling that story wonderful women uh, you know who, who are doing that and I think that that will make a change just as I think the shift of women who, who talk about the, the fatal fetal abnormality stories I don't think there's a parent in Ireland who would wish that on their child so I think the personal stories are a part of our campaign that can be used um, we ran a positive joyous campaign I don't know if you can do that on the on the issue. So I suppose what I'm saying is that there are, you know, there are some things in that that are very useful. The polling, finding out what are the issues that people will change their mind on, getting the stories out. And I do think, you know, we unashamedly did the celebrity endorsement. I think more and more people need to step up and say, yeah. you know, 
I believe that this is a right women should have in Ireland. And I suppose the thing you touched on about some people just thinking things are moving too fast here is also going to be an even greater thing. And, you know, that's a valid position for people who, who feel that way. Um, just going back to you for a minute. So since May 23rd, and how do you feel now as a gay woman, a grandmother and, and, and your family? You know, I suppose I'm asking, how have things changed for you in your own self yeah, and personally? How yeah. do you feel about walking around in this, this different country? Oh, I, I mean, I, I think it has changed. Um, we were up in Donegal for a few days, a week or so after the um, the referendum vote, and we were driving through some of those small towns now in the far northwest of Ireland. And I have to say, they'd have been places that in the past, uh, Trish and myself would have been sort of saying, "God, I hope we don't, hope the car doesn't break down here." Um, and actually, we were driving through it, and we were saying to each other because we knew the specific ballot boxes we were so involved. And I was saying, "These voted yes. These voted yes. These voted yes." So there's a sense now that you know the majority of people in Ireland voted yes and it's a great feeling it really is a feeling that all the work all the people going out and as my mother would have said making a show of themselves telling their private business to the world actually it has made a difference and I think that that for all of us for our family and I'm going up later today to, I'm graduating, get my PhD. All of my family are going to be there in DCU. Well done, yeah. congratulations. Um, Dr. Grony Healy. That's me. <laughs> so so I think that there, it's been it's been a great year for me, a joyous year. And uh, it's just great that so many other people are benefiting so much from it. Well, Grony Healy, the book is called Ireland Says Yes, the inside story of the, how the vote for marriage equality was won. It's published by? Marion Press. Marion Press. And it is a great read. And um, I think it'd be a, a big Christmas present for a lot of people in this country this year. Um, Well done on all your work. Thank you.